Welcome back. The magic of technology. It's been a week since we last spoke to Ali and he's here again, uh, but this time he's going to do a devil's advocate. So I've prepared some statements for him. He doesn't know what they are, but I'm going to read them out and then I'm going to see the quick fire response that Ali's going to give to us. Um, and of course, uh, when I make these statements, even I don't, well, I don't personally necessarily agree with any of them, but it's good to do this because I think it means there's a bit of debate, a bit more uh, sort of conversation back and forth rather than just a question. So are you ready, Ali? Are you feeling confident? I was born, well, I was born, but I'm not <laughs> sure if I was born ready or confident. I'm I was born. Good. Finally. I love that. You're not even born ready to say that expression, I'm born ready. That's great. Okay, then, right. <laughs> so we'll see how this works out. So ready for a round of Devil's Advocate. I need to work on some more sound effects. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, something. <laughs> yeah, you can. It is, you know, it's Halloween, so we've got to try and sort of make it a little bit more exciting, right? How about Al Pacino's laugh from the film Devil's Advocate? Oh, how does he do that then? Uh, can I, I don't know if I can play that off YouTube and I'll get sued or not. Can you do an impression of that for us, Ali? All I can do is him from Scent of a Woman where he goes, hoo-ha! Hoo-ha! There we go. Okay. All right. Let's do this. Let's do this. I think that's my impression of him. It's very bad. Right. The first devil's advocate. All meat has the same impact on health. All meat has the same impact on health. Go. So I think that um, you hear this a lot, you know, when there's the kind of usual bun fight between meat eaters, keto people, and vegans. And uh, like we were saying in the podcast, um, there's a lot of nuance. So I think the main thing for me is beef and lamb, fatty beef and lamb is the healthiest food there is. Uh, absolutely packed with nutrition and um, fat-soluble vitamins and all the rest of it. But, you know, you can't always afford it or you don't, maybe you don't like it, importantly. So pork and chicken is very popular too now, and it's cheaper. So the problem for me is, and I think a lot of people, a lot of your listeners will be aware that vegetable oils and seed oils are, you know, arguably really, really bad for your health. And so they avoid them already. Um, maybe they buy things like hunter and gather mayo or they make their own or um, they certainly cook with fats like uh, beef tallow, butter, coconut oil, olive oil, whatever, that are lower in the linoleic acid, which is the fat that's bad in vegetable oil. However, what a lot of people don't realize is that animals with one stomach, like chickens and pigs, when they eat corn, the, the fat that's in the corn is, to a large extent, linoleic acid. Um, and that persists in the fat of the animal. And that that is equivalent. It's just the same molecule to what's in the vegetable oil. So there's a lot of decent evidence that if you're ketogenic, then you'll burn that stuff off less damagingly uh, than if you're eating carbs at the same time. However, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily good for you and it might mean that it's bad for you. So I would say chicken and pork can be all right, but um, it's all about the breed and the feed. So uh, heritage breed pigs fed things like barley and um, wheat rather than corn. If you can find them, then brilliant. And fortunately for your listeners, next year I'll be bringing out a range of low uh, omega-6 um, pork products uh, after uh, the brilliant Brad Marshall in the States. So um, 
keep an eye out for that. And that's what I would say about all meats being created equal or not. Wow, interesting. Just to have interest uh, on that point then. So what is it about the two stomachs of a cow, for instance, that means that if they eat corn, it would still not be as good as grass-fed beef, right? But not as bad as a pork-fed, uh, sorry, a pig-fed corn, right? Is that what you're saying? What is it about the two stomachs that makes a difference? Yeah, so uh, cows have the have their rumen where they turn um, the undigestible to us cellulose in plants into fatty acids uh, using right. bacteria. So similarly to uh, hindgut fermenters like gorillas or chimps, they take plant matter and use bacteria to turn it into fatty acids. So they right. are running on fat, essentially. But um, oh, amazing. So they're actually, that's incredible. I didn't realize this. So even if you are like a, a complete herbivore animal, uh, like a cow, you're actually then converting that into ketones, if it's fat burning, from the sugars in the grass. I, I'm unclear on the split between ketones and fatty acids, but certainly what they're, what they're doing in their fermentation tank is... Yeah creating fatty acids which forms the fat that is in their tissues that we then eat so right um, right so so even if you even if you give them a uh, feed that has um linoleic acid in it then it won't persist in the same way at all um you might you might bring it up by you know a percent or two but uh with with um, pigs and chickens you know you can get up to 20% linoleic acid in their fat. Um, you quite often see it in um, the fat itself at room temperature. You know, if you think of a lamb chop, yeah. the fat will be white and firm, even even when you let it warm up on the kitchen counter. Yeah. Um, and I've tried this, you know, with um, with cheap salami. It starts to go see-through and melty at room temperature. Oh, and right. with, um, with, a, with a, uh, a pig that's raised on barley or wheat uh, or something else that isn't corn, then even when it's at room temp, then it's the fat is firm and white and it tastes much better. So um, it's interesting to, to try these things out. Wow, fascinating. Okay, things you learn. Brilliant. Right, the next devil's advocate then. <clears throat> Paleo, primal, keto, veganism and shake diets are all fad diets. A balanced diet is the best way to eat. <laughs> it's funny because... None of them is really that good a term for anything. So I've spoken to Herman Ponser on the podcast um, about how paleo is really not a good term because it's vague. It refers to a period of time that's like a million years and um, covers the whole globe. And there's no way that that could be one diet. Yeah, of course, yeah. To me, paleo is about a logic. It's about saying our ancestors survived in an in a variety of environments, and we can tell from um, you know archaeological data what they did and didn't eat to some extent. We know what the food advancements technologically have been in the last uh, few hundred and few thousand years. So the logic is, to me, of paleo and primal. Um, if you eat the things that we know were available and were eaten widely then, then that's probably okay. 
for your health. And if you avoid, if you at least are very suspicious of the things that have come on the scene recently, like veg oils and refined carbohydrates, then, um, you know, you, then you, that's probably sensible. Um, and same with the Mediterranean diet. It's so vague. There's so many countries on the Mediterranean. What does it actually mean? Um, so the, I think calling them fads would, would be mistaken because uh, paleo is about trying to emulate the types of diets that we've eaten since the dawn of human uh, humankind. Uh, so the fad diet really is the, 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 the so-called balanced diet that includes novel foods, um, which have only appeared in the last few thousand years, like uh, cultivated refined grains. Yeah, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Again, we're talking about time and uh, perspective on the last show. And it's interesting how when you say the things that have come along in the most you know, modern sense, the last 40 years, 40 years is nothing in terms of human existence. Is it? it's, so, it's so the last second on the clock if you could go back through the whole of human existence. Um, but equally, the last 10,000 years, where we've gone from the Ice Age to this kind of warmer period, the Holocene, you know, our food has, throughout that 10,000 years, has changed massively, especially the last few thousand with regards to farming and all the rest of it. So, you know, we are, we are, we've really changed our diets quite a lot in very recent terms because we, we're not very good at sometimes understanding what a million years feels like or three million years. We've got no idea. It's just too big. 10,000 seems forever for us, let alone a thousand years. So it's all perspective, isn't it? I think. And that's the important thing. And I like we said there. So the fad diets have come along more recently. What's a true diet to the way you should eat? I like that. Right. The next question. A calorie to calorie. You put weight on eating too many of them. You lose weight eating fewer of them. Discuss. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I think, you know, the number of calories that you your system takes on board is clearly the decider of whether you... Um, gain weight, lose weight, or maintain weight. But that doesn't really tell you much about how your body is doing that, you know. And if you think about, the, to me, the most important thing is appetite regulation. You know, uh, lions and zebras and other wild animals, they're not on my fitness pal checking how many... <laughs> calories it could, it could be as a snack <laughs> <laughs> well that's a good point they themselves might end up on my fitness pal but um but not as a user okay you know they're not tapping their little hooves or paws on their um smartphones to check that they can um fit in their papaya or their antelope into that day's macros yeah so the idea that humans need to do that is absurd and to me, it's about appetite regulation. And you can see this in, um, you know, there's a, there's a fun study, which is actually probably quite dark, uh, in, you know, um, urban wild animals in Toronto. And they're getting fat because they, um, you know, they're eating human food. food. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think it comes down to appetite regulation. And if you can find any diet which is healthy, um, you feel good, you enjoy the stuff, and it regulates your appetite, then that's the key. Um, and the most interesting area for me at the moment is 
kind of within keto, people talking about whether you should emphasize protein or emphasize fat and then which types of fat. So people like uh, Amber O'Hearn, Siobhan Huggins, they're doing some really interesting stuff on this. And they find that, um, you know, Ted Naiman, for example, doctor in America, um, suggests you increase your protein to energy ratio of whatever foods you're eating. So that would kind of emphasize uh, lean meats and so on, which will have good nutrient density, good satiety. Uh, and that really works for some people, particularly men, I think. Um, and then what Siobhan Huggins and Amber O'Hearn and other, lots of other people have found is that that just drives their hunger up um, and they don't find it satisfying. And the only way that they can properly regulate their uh, mood, temperature, uh, weight, appetite, the lot is to really jack up the amount of fat they're eating and particularly um, fat from the, uh, you know, the musculature. So it would be like beef dripping or, you know, a really fatty cup of beef rather than... This is the last time I'm going to do a podcast with you before lunch. Um, I've not broken <laughs> my fast yet and I am really hungry now. I was a little bit hungry before, but you mentioned those fatty cuts and I was like, my stomach said, yep, we're going to get ourselves some of that, right? <laughs> so, okay, cheers, Ali. <laughs> well, that, that would be... So, yeah, I mean, apologies for that, but um, I'm the same, actually. I'm getting really hungry. But that would be that would be the fat that they, they're talking about jacking up, whereas a lot of people find that if they, if they really jack up the amount of fat in terms of cream and butter and um uh you know um other types of fat that aren't the sort of uh beef and lamb fat from the animal um that uh, their appetite is still poorly regulated so to me, to me that, that. Okay. to me that's the that's the the kind of the uh the la- one of the last areas of um of knowledge to be worked out um, and I think it's an individual thing too you know some people prefer higher protein some people prefer higher fat to regulate their 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 appetite and then um, other people a small minority of the population maybe 10 to 20 percent who've always been metabolically healthy they can eat carbs and not put on weight and be quite healthy um, and their appetites are well regulated and I would suggest that a lot of them are the ones saying that um that these types of diets are fads because they've never required anything like that. Yeah, great. You know what? At the weekend, we had uh, some slow-cooked lamb. And, um, you know, some people we know, friends and family, are fat-phobic, I'd suggest. And, you know, if we had a roast dinner, you know, it's nothing more depressing. Well, obviously, it's a lot more depressing than this, but it's pretty depressing seeing the fat being cut off all the meat before it's cooked. Uh, before it's cooked, it's even worse, right? Uh, or it's been cut off after it's cooked and you see it going to the bin, you're like, oh my goodness. And then you've got this dry, really rich protein, but really dry meat to eat. So we did it ourselves and I was giving my two kids who are five and two, like these bits of fat off the side and I was like, eat that, that's the best bit, you'll love it. And I thought, you know, if you get that in early on, the kids think that's normal, then that's how it's healthier for them, right? Whereas it's the programming that so many of us have that fat's bad, that's actually, even if you know it's, it's actually not as bad for you as you maybe thought, it's quite hard to get over that for a lot of people, isn't it? They kind of have this mindset of avoid the fat and, and actually they're hungry more often because they're filling up with the rice or the pasta or the potatoes. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, it's this, um, you know, I, I, even though I'd read the science before diving into keto, you know, four, four years ago or so, I, um, I, uh, I still was wondering, you know, for the first few months, 
as I was losing weight and feeling great, I was thinking, you know, when when's my heart going to explode? Yeah, and of course. Yeah. It's just because for years and years, that's what we've been taught. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, the last devil's advocate. I think everyone agrees you're doing pretty well here. So maybe this last one will throw you off. Who knows? Feeling lucky, punk. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> right, the next one then. Right, micronutrients are more important than macronutrients. Go. Hmm. I feel like we partially covered it talking about the sort of Ted Neiman, Amber O'Hearn discussion. Um, but, you know, the, 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 two aren't, the two aren't totally separate. I think uh, you get different micronutrients from different macronutrients. You know, you need fat for the fat-soluble vitamins. You need... Um, high quality protein, by which I mean, you know, uh, animals that have eaten a diet which allows them to develop uh, these micronutrients in their, um, in their body when they're alive. So these things are extremely important, um, defining protein and, and uh, fat requirements. I'm sure most of your listeners know that there's no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. However, foods that contain carbohydrates have nutrients too. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about nutrient density as a way to prioritize. And it's a funny one because if you get technical, then things like kale and stuff have a much higher nutrient density a lot of the time than, than, than meat because they're, 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 they're so... Uh, lightweight so um, but you'd have to eat uh, an unfeasible amount in reality to get you know all those nutrients so um, I would say that you know they're both important um, to to think about um, but that ultimately the main gate I think should be whether that macronutrient is uh, fit for consumption. And to me, um, there's, you know, the, the, the macronutrients break down uh, into different subsections. So um, protein should be high quality protein. Carbohydrates, I tend to not eat refined ones. Um, and the, um, And I tend to not eat any starchy ones. And the fats, I tend to avoid any that are high in linoleic acid. Um, and then I find that probably the micronutrients take care of themselves. Excellent. You know what? The reason I asked that, or made that statement, is because uh, I'll put my hands up. I didn't know anything about macronutrients at all a few years ago, at all. I knew about micronutrients, not as a term, but I would be very aware of vitamins and minerals because, um, well, I think it's probably the same around most of the world, I would have thought, the emphasis on vitamin taking as a supplement is a really big thing, isn't it? And, you know, you've grown up where vitamins have been fortified and added to food. So you've become very aware of, oh, I've got to get my vitamins right. I've got to get my, my micronutrients right. And then when I found out about macros, I was like, oh, hang on a minute. What the heck is a macro? And I found out about fuel source to your body and actually, you know, repairing your body through protein. And then I kind of realized, hang on a minute. It's really strange how one's become the, the, the buzz phrase and we talk about one and not the other 
And I think you're completely right. The balance, in my opinion, of what a diet should be is to get your macronutrients and your micronutrients right. Um, and then you'd have a much healthier life. And so understanding how to take on micronutrients, and quite often it is because you have to have fats, you know, like it's proven, isn't it? You take the fat out of milk, you're unable to actually take in a lot of the micronutrients in the milk because it comes as a package. You have to have the fat to make it a fat soluble, um, you know, uh, thing for your body to then take the nutrients. So um, I just think it's interesting how the debate needs to move on to both really. And if it did, then I think that'd be the answer to a lot of the health problems we have. Yeah, I agree. And I think the public understanding of health is improving. Um, Great. I think, I think the, the, the public knowledge of different ways of eating for health is definitely improving. And I think the communities that are growing online um, short circuit the ability of other parties from dictating the, the, the conversation. And I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, excellent. Right, Ali, how can people connect with you then if they want to sort of speak to you on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram? Where, whereabouts are you? So on all of these platforms, I'm at Paleo Canteen or for the sugar-free keto low-carb ice cream that I'm bringing out, it's at Eat Scoundrel. Great, excellent. And you've also got the Canteen podcast, so I recommend you go and check it out. And um, I just want to say you've done really well on today's devil's advocate and uh, and i hope you come back again in the future and uh, i'm sure there'll be many more shows to come okay thanks looking forward to it that's all right and before you go i found a laugh so let's just see what this sounds like <laughs> there you go that's, that's pretty, pretty scary right yeah there you go so uh there the power of youtube all right all right ali well thank you for your time today take care of a great week thanks again you too dan <laughs>